Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, I'm adjusting my afghan, so uh, I got an afghan on my chair here, and, uh, well, it was falling down, so I'm adjusting it. I like to to get the room set up after I'm started recording the podcast. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything before. It's all happening. All right, we're having a good time. I'm pumped to be here. I feel better every day. I still have a ruptured appendix, but I saw the GI doctor the other day, and he doesn't seem all that concerned. He, um, you know, he had a mask on, so he could have been terrified underneath the mask, but uh, as far as I could tell, he seemed like this was all fine, and that we're just going to move right along. Potentially, I'm going to have a colonoscopy, so I'm going to have a tube put inside of me in one end of my body. And then he thought, you know what? Since you have some acid reflux issues, maybe we'll put a tube in your mouth too. So I'm going to be getting tubes from both ends, and uh, it's going to be a wild time. But that happens at the end of February. But as much as I don't like that and as much as I don't want that to happen— I do want it to happen because I'm trying to get some clarity here. I'm trying to get some things cleared up, figure out what's been going on with me, and then get well. But I feel good. I feel excited. I'm having a good time. I did comedy Monday at Zany's. Oh. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where they been? Where we're going? Where we've been? Okay, so where have I been? Well, I did Zanies on Monday night at uh, uh, for the New Material Night. New Material Night is great. I mean, people. I mean, uh, it costs fifteen bucks to get in, so I get it if you're like, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen. It's fifteen bucks, but you know, um, I was there this Monday. Uh, Nate Bargatze was there this Monday. Uh, John Christ was there this Monday. Um, Nicole Arbor was there. Um, a comic from Chicago, I forget her name, but she was very funny. Uh, among many other people, Bone Hampton was there. So on um, these Monday nights, you're going to get great shows. You're going to get really good stuff, and who knows who'll drop in. And, uh, you know, comics like Theo Vaughn live here now. Josh Wolf lives here now. Steve Byrne lives here now. These people are going to be dropping in from time to time. Um, so it's exciting. So if you're, if you're, um, thinking about something to do on Mondays, that's a good thing. I get it. You want to go to the club and then you got to pay, uh, a cover and then you got to buy drinks, but it's the best entertainment you're going to get. It, it really is. It's so fun. Uh, you know, it's the best except for my show, which is going to be on March 10th at Zany's. I did have to cancel my February 10th show. Um, in hindsight, uh, that's tonight in hindsight, I think I could do it. But I couldn't wait because I didn't want to cancel last minute. And at the time I canceled it, I was not feeling very good. I was like, there's no way I can do this show. But I do think I could do it now, but I can't. You know what I mean? I can't 
I can't wait till last minute. I kind of did that to Cleveland, and I feel bad that I did that, but I do want to come back. Some people messaged me saying that they, they went ex- to Cleveland expecting to see me, and uh, and then I wasn't there. So I, I apologize about that. But I never cancel shows. This is uh, It's been difficult in that sense because I never cancel shows. And I had to cancel uh, Des Moines, Iowa, which I love. I have a great YouTube video on Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, it, did, it did really well. And then I had to cancel um, uh, Cleveland, which I also love. So I hate that I had to cancel that. Uh, but that's the where we've been. Where are we going? Well, it looks like tomorrow night, I just got a text. It looks like tomorrow night I'm going to uh, be on a show. Uh, Steve Byrne and Brian Callen are recording a podcast at Zany's, and uh, they've just asked me what I like to be on the show. So I'm going to do some time on that show. So that's exciting. Steve Byrne's been very nice to me. Uh, in fact, of the comics that's moved to Nashville, he's he's been my favorite. He's been very nice. He's been, um, you know, reaching out for various things, and uh, it's really great. I like because, you know, People always talk about the uh, environment in L.A. with at comedy clubs and stuff. And uh, just to be clear, I've only had good experiences in L.A. When I've been in L.A., people have been nice to me. I've had a really good experience. Almost everywhere I go, I have a good experience. And I think part of that is that I'm just nice to people. I'm nice to people and I'm funny, which goes back, if we're talking advice to comics, you know, that goes back to what I've always said, you know, be nice, be funny. I used to go into these open mics. Uh, I figured there was a pretty good chance that I was going to have a good set. and uh, But, you know, people wouldn't know me, and they weren't, be, they weren't dying. They weren't lining up to be my friends. But I also wasn't pushing it. I wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to really try to make these people like me before I do comedy. I'm like, no, comedy is my strength. I'm going to make them like me while I'm on stage. So if they don't talk to me before I go up, so be it. After the show, we're going to be friends. And that was, so be nice, be funny. So I would be nice and polite to people. And then when I went up, I would be funny. And then after, we would be friends. Now, sometimes I didn't have a good set. And we wouldn't be friends after. But that's okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of people will talk about the environment in the L.A. comedy scene. And they'll say, actually, I heard in the green room this week from a comic from L.A., talking about how nice we were to each other in the green room, how much we were supporting each other. I had just complimented someone, and they said, wow, it's you guys are so nice here. And that's the kind of environment I want to create. I do want people to move here. I want bigger-name comics to move here and be a part of this scene and help this scene to grow and make Nashville the place. But I also want to maintain the nice... Um, thing. I mean, I've seen a little bit of stuff, you know, comics coming in and they want to, uh, you know, they want to go ahead of everybody. They want to big dog everyone and they want to go, uh, I know that you've made the lineup already, but I want to go now. And I understand in LA and New York, you could hit multiple open mics in a night. So you're like, let me, can I go up early so I can leave and go do another mic? But that's not happening here in Nashville. Not, not at the moment. So not for comedy. So there's no reason for that to happen. But people are in that mentality. And sometimes people have, you know, such an ego that, um, you know, they, they have to do that just to appease their ego. They have to go, 
I'm going to throw my weight around a little bit just so I can feel good about who I am. And, uh, you know, people got to do what they got to do. I'm not mad at them, but I'm just saying I always want to maintain this nice comedy scene that we have here. I mean, it's always so much more pleasant to sit in a room full of people who are just having a conversation with each other as opposed to a room full of people who are trying to one-up each other and tell each other how great they are and what TV shows they're on. Um, so I'm having a good time. Uh, so I'll be on that show this Thursday, 9 p.m., uh, Brian Callen, uh, Steve Byrne. I've also worked with Brian Callen before. He was very nice to me. Uh, and, uh, and then this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I will be in Kansas City, Missouri at the Kansas City Improv. Very excited about it. I've been there many times, but I've never headlined a weekend there. Around 2015, uh, I headlined or I featured for Aerie Spears. It was the first time I'd ever met Aerie Spears. And when the booker of the improvs gave me the gig, he said, I'm going to put you on this Aerie Spears weekend. If he fires you, that's okay, but I'm going to put you on it. So I was like, okay, wow. So I was really prepared for I only knew Aerie Spears from Mad TV, guy that did a lot of impressions. Very funny. And so I'm waiting outside. I've taken Hannah with me. I'm pretty new to featuring at the Funny Bones. This was in the Kansas City Funny Bone. I'm pretty new to this uh, at this time. This is 2015. And Hannah was with me. Me and Hannah were just dating. This, this was actually her first week coming down to hang out with me. So she was going to fly out from Kansas City later that weekend. But this was Thursday. We had just arrived. And the improv had sent someone to come pick us up. So we're at the bottom of the hotel. We're waiting. The um, limo driver has pulled up, or, or I don't know, the car. Uh, he's pulled up from the Funny Bone, from the Improv, and he's waiting for us. And we're down there. We're talking to him. We're having a great time. Just laughing, the three of us, just laughing. And then Aries shows up, and Aries seems very unhappy and very serious. And we all get in the—he wasn't rude, but he just seemed unhappy and serious. And we all get in the car. Aries sits in the passenger seat, me and Hannah in the back. And the car has, you know, that feature that most cars have now where if you don't fasten your seatbelt, it'll ding. Well, the, the, it was about a 10 to 15-minute ride from the hotel to the club. And Aries will not fasten his seatbelt and is not speaking. So since he's the headliner, he's kind of like in this car ride, it feels like he's the dad. And the dad is upset about something. So everyone else in the car is afraid to speak. So we ride for about 10 to 15 minutes in the car with no talking and just the constant Ding, 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 ding of the seatbelt needing to be fastened. And it was one of the most awkward car rides of my life. In fact, so awkward that the rest of the weekend I just drove. <laughs> Even though the free ride was available, I just drove. But that being said, I ended up going on to work uh, three more weekends with, or two more weekends with Aerie Spears. And he was always very nice to me. Like, when I say very nice, I mean, he was never rude to me, and he was nice to me. And compared to 
everyone else, it seemed like he was very nice to me. And I don't know what he was going through in his life, so I'm not trashing him. But he just seems like a very serious guy, and he does super long sets. And I noticed he would always do this. I would go up before him, and I would do my set. And then every time I would get to the green room, there would be about a half cigarette smoked and then thrown into some cup of water in the green room. I don't know what that is. I didn't see him smoking any other time. It's like just before he went up on stage, he just wanted about a half a cigarette. Um, but uh, I had a great time with him, and that first weekend in Kansas City was amazing. I had, I had really, really, they were packed out shows. I was doing really well, and, uh, you know, that was a fun weekend. So now, all that being said, this is my first weekend headlining uh, Kansas City uh, Improv, and I'm very excited about it. So it's going to be a great time. I look forward to seeing you there. Um, and that being said, I feel like that makes a nice transition. Because the Super Bowl just happened on Sunday between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I'm going to say last year, I don't, I don't talk a lot of football because I don't know a lot about it. I enjoy it, but I don't know all the... I mean, I know all the rules, but it feels like they change the rules every year just a little bit just to keep it confusing. Unless you're really studying it, which I am not, uh, it can be tough to, 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 um, you know, to, to follow and keep up with the rules. And, and maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just my perception. But last year... I was pulling for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl because I don't know why, but I really like the coach, Andy Reid. I like that guy. He could not be a good person. There's a good chance that, you know, Andy Reid goes home every night and kills bunnies. I don't know. But looking at him, he seems like a nice guy. He seems a little bit like Wilford Brimley, the diabetes guy. And uh, I just like him. So I wanted him to win. And I don't have a professional team. I, I grew up in Alabama. We don't have a team. Our closest team was kind of the uh, Atlanta Falcons. And I like to see the Falcons win. But they're not been doing that a lot lately. So I don't really have a team. So I just kind of pick a team based on whatever's going on and whatever kind of story scenario I can work up that makes me want to root for a team. And I don't, I try not to get into the personal lives of, of the, the football players and the coaches because I don't want, the same way I do for actors and musicians, I don't want their personal life to cloud how I view them as an actor or an athlete. So last year, I, I realized that Andy Reid had never won a Super Bowl as a head coach. I always liked him. I liked that he brought Mike Vick. Uh, when Mike Vick, you know, did his prison time and wanted to come back into the NFL, I liked that Andy Reid picked him up and put him on the Eagles. I liked that. Gave him a second chance. I'm a big fan of forgiveness and the second and second chances. So I liked that he did that, and I've always liked him since then. So I wanted to see him... Uh, uh, you know, win a Super Bowl. 
Now, this year, I still like Andy Reid, and I still like the Kansas City Chiefs, but as far as the story went, I like this story of Tom Brady leaving the Patriots and going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa is one of my favorite cities. I like going and doing comedy there. I like smoking cigars in Ybor City. I like it there. Um, And I like Tom Brady. I mean, I don't get into Tom Brady's personal life. I don't even know that I know what Tom Brady sounds like talking. But I like this whole story of this guy who who kind of um, was a little bit, I feel like a little bit overlooked coming into the NFL, and then he has this great story of being a champion many times. And I, I'm going somewhere with this. But I like, but it was always like, when he was at the Patriots, it was always like, is it Tom Brady that's great or is it Bill Belichick? Can they win without each other, you know? So I felt like even though Tom Brady had won the most Super Bowls of any uh, player ever that I'm aware of, um, he, I felt like his legacy was always going to go down as being with Bill Belichick. And it, had it not been for Bill Belichick's genius, he would have never won those championships. So... I like that he went there, and I'm like, I want to see him win. I like him better than I like Bill Belichick. I don't dislike Bill Belichick, but I like Brady better than Belichick. So I was like, I'd like to see him win the championship. Now, as it goes on into the Super Bowl, uh, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm like, well, I hate that it's come down to this, uh, Tom Brady versus you know the Chiefs, because I also like Patrick Mahomes, and I like Andy Reid. But I was like, ultimately, I'd like to see Tampa Bay win. That being said, and a lot of people may disagree with this, but I think the game was rigged. Now, I don't know why it was rigged. I don't know what the motivation was. I don't know why it would be rigged this way. But I think it was rigged through the refs, right? I mean, to me, now again, I'm not always as familiar with the rules as I need to be. But I thought there were like four bad calls in a row that came against the Chiefs that really turned the tide in the way of the Buccaneers. And to me, even though my team still won, um, it takes the fun out of the game. When I'm, when I'm cheering for a team and then a, a bad call goes in the way of my team, maybe one bad call, I'll go, okay, well, that was a bad call, but I'll take it, you know? But when four calls that I see in a row go in a direction that I'm like, wow, that's really turning the tide of this game, and it, and it takes the fun out of it for me. And then just, you know, so that's really all I have to say about how the game was rigged because um, – I just think it, it, it takes the fun out of it to watch even your team win when it comes against bad calls because you're like, well, you're winning, but you're not winning in, in the fun kind of competitive way that I like to see. And I don't think that Tom Brady rigged the game. I don't think that Bruce Arian rigged the game. I don't know who rigged it, but... That's just how I feel. I feel like, man, there's so many bad calls. And then I talked to someone the other day, and they were like, well, uh, what they were saying was the Kansas City Chiefs were very handsy, so it's like they just were kind of on edge about what to call. And I don't know, but I just thought that. And then the halftime show, to me, was just very dark. I don't understand 
why, uh, you know, uh, the weekend, uh, I don't know, I just feel like there was some weird symbolism in there. And then he, um, he had all these people that were dressed like him, but they had masks on like they had just had plastic surgery. And I thought, well, that's super weird. I don't know what that's all about. I'm not in, I haven't been into the halftime show in a long time. Actually, the last one that I really liked was Bruno Mars. Um, I thought he had a really good one. And I actually liked last year's, but that's, you know, because I enjoy uh, attractive women. And, uh, I mean, I've always liked Shakira. And uh, Jennifer Lopez I've liked as an actress, and I like Jenny from the Block. I think that's a fun song. (laughs) And, uh, okay. Um, And then the commercials weren't fun to me. There was a couple that made me laugh, and I forget which ones they were. I took some notes after the after the game so I could just kind of remember this stuff. But there were some commercials I did like, but for the most part, they all have some kind of either secret agenda or blatant agenda. And I'm just, I'm tired of everything having a weird agenda. Even a commercial. No, even when, one time during the game, they showed a fan. Right, And this fan had a sign, and the sign says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And then he had like a Bud Light lemonade mask on, or whatever that brand of of whatever was. Um, That was an advertisement, a commercial that I had seen earlier. So you're telling me this fan organically made a sign that said, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And then he had the Bud Light mask on. It even felt like showing the fan was just another advertisement. I'm so tired of being preached to about different causes. It's like, whatever, guys, whatever. You know, Um, I just, I hate it so much. Um, I just want to be entertained sometimes. You know, I just want to watch things and just laugh without some secret agenda even i watched the movie called called nice guys or the nice guys last night with um well i don't know i can't remember their names uh two very prominent actors russell crowe and uh the guy from the notebook that everybody was talking about how good looking he was for a long time i forget his name i like both of them a lot and i actually enjoyed the movie but the movie also had some kind of secret um anti-pollution agenda behind it. I just was like, and then, so it felt like the purpose of the movie was the agenda, and then they tried to find a way to write entertainment around it. So even though I enjoyed the characters, it didn't feel like the movie was really about the characters. It felt like the movie was about the agenda, and the characters just played a role in it, which, uh, in the end, uh, ruined the movie for me. And it also drug on for a long time. I am ready for us to get back to the hour and 20-minute movie as opposed to the two to two-and-a-half-hour movie about everything. And then my last point about the Super Bowl, and then I'll move on. This wasn't meant to be a complaining session. I I actually meant for some of this to be funny. Uh, I don't know if it is, but uh, it's been a while since I've really done comedy. So I I need this weekend in Kansas City to get my groove back. I've been in the house for for quite a while. Um, but then the, the, the thing, the, the most exciting thing that happened in the Super Bowl, uh, aside from me believing that it was rigged, it was also just super boring, super boring. 
And I, and this is what I'll say. The last thing I'll say about the rigging. I don't believe that they can rig the game to make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the game. I don't believe that they can do that. They can only swing it and try to steer it in a way, make a few bad calls on the other team, kill the morale a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's like on offense, I don't feel like the Chiefs did what they needed to do, but maybe their morale was killed. But the most exciting thing to happen in this game was that an audience, uh, that a, a, a streaker came, jumped onto the field. And the, I don't know what channel everyone was watching. I don't know if it was on more than one channel. But the channel I was watching, they wouldn't even show the streaker. I'm not dying to see a naked man, but what happened to the fun? Remember the fun when, when a streaker would jump onto the stage and the camera would watch it? And then people would come out and tackle him and we'd all get to see it and we'd laugh and we'd go, ha, 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 that idiot streaking, Right? They don't show it. And why the why did the announcers never really get vocal about when they see a bad call? I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the announcer go, that was a bad call. I felt like Tony Romo bit his tongue several times. But that's it. I just think that I want things to be fun. Don't rig the game so that they can't be fun. I want to see fun things. I want to have a good time. Sports is about the spontaneity and about not knowing who's going to win. That's what it's about for me. So when it feels rigged, even if it's not rigged, when it feels rigged, I can't do it. I don't know why I keep watching the Super Bowl. I love football. The playoffs this year were far superior to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is trash. Last year's was good. Last year's was a good Super Bowl. But it's trash. It's a trash game. It's too hyped up and there's too much money involved. And I don't even know what to say about it, to be honest with you. So I'll move on. Uh, I have more uplifting things. I have more fun things. I was talking to my friend Kenneth the other day. I don't like, generally, I don't like to talk on the phone. Uh, you know, I talk to my parents and I talk to my wife and I talk to my sisters. But I do that, you know, to stay in touch with my family. But I don't really like talking on the phone. And I think the reason is, is because, you know, I spend my whole life talking. I do a podcast once a week where I talk. And then oftentimes I'll, I'll do an additional podcast where I guest with someone. Um, and then when I'm doing comedy, when I'm really rolling with comedy, I'll go up and I'll speak anywhere from five to seven hours a weekend on stage and then after i'm off stage i'll go and sell merch where i'll talk to more people and then i'll sit in the green room and i'll talk to the other comics and then after i may go out with some people so when i'm doing comedy it is non-stop talking but i haven't been doing a lot of talk talking lately and my friend kenneth called me and i answered and me and kenneth uh i've talked about kenneth before i talked about him last week and um he lived in the trailer park that I grew up in for a while. He didn't live there forever, but his, his uncle, James, who was my age, Kenneth was my age. James was one year older than me, and he was Kenneth's uncle. And um, But Kenneth lived there for a while, and we also went to school together for a while. And when he moved, he transferred schools. But we were talking, and we were talking about, he was reminding me about uh, a, a thing that we did one time at Floral Park 
And it just made me think about Floral Park. And I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but my mom used to play softball. My mom was played softball for as long as I can remember being a kid. I mean, there's pictures of me. Uh, there's one p- picture in particular that I really like. It's me, my mom, and my dad. They're still married at the time. I'm a baby, and they're both wearing softball uniforms. There's so many pictures of me, my mom, and my dad with my mom in some kind of softball uniform. My mom loved softball. And when I was remembering her, she was a pitcher. She always did the pitching at the softball games. In fact, it was the, my first experience, and people don't think this about Alabama, but it was my first experience with lesbian, uh, lesbians. Uh, I was going to say lesbian women, but I guess that's, that's pretty much what a lesbian is. And, um, but I remember asking my mom, I said, because uh, the women, you know, that played softball were her, were, were all fairly, you know, for lack of a better term, manly looking, right? They were all nice. They were always very nice to me. But I remember asking my mom, I said, why do they look like that? And she said, because those women date other women. And then that was it. That was really about it. There were really no other questions. And, uh, but my mom played with these women. In fact, one of her best friends uh, growing up was a lady named Diane, and she was a lesbian. And I remember, I mean, she hung out with Diane all the time. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, that my mom uh, was not a lesbian. <laughs> and... Uh, but uh, I don't know why I'm even saying these things about my mom right now. But I'm just saying that, you know, she was playing softball, and that was the crew she was running with. That's who she was hanging with. And then she did a little co-ed softball for a while. But we used to go down to Floral Park. Floral Park where it was where most of this took place in Opelika. And Floral Park, to my recollection, had three fields, three baseball-slash-softball fields on it. And you would pull up in the parking lot, and then you would walk, walk down, and then there would be a kind of a building complex where there would be a concession stand, and then there would be the umpire's office in there. And I know that because later on, my mom was an umpire. She was kind of umpire, umpiring sometimes and playing softball sometimes. And so I would go into that umpire office once in a while, and then the concession stand, and then there was one field right there by the complex. But then there was this long, there was this big hill, hill and then a long concrete staircase with metal railings, a really long staircase that goes down to the other two fields. And then there would be, you know, a little space in between where there were some bleachers. And then beyond that was a little grass field where me and the other kids would play cup ball. Now, I, I always thought cup ball was funny. I don't guess I thought about it at the time, but now looking back, I think about it. That all of our parents were playing actual softball. They had balls and bats and gloves. And the kids that they took to the games to just let run wild, we had to get a cup from the concession stand. You remember those kind of like paper wax cups? We would get one of those, and then we would ball it up, and we would throw that, and we would hit it with our hand. That was cut ball. That's what we got to play with. And I remember going out there and uh, just playing and playing. We would play on that hill. We would play. We would slide down. We would get on that metal railing down that concrete staircase, and we would just slide down. 
I mean, we were all over that. I mean, I remember going to the concession stand. They had the gum. It was about uh, eight inches of gum and a stick, and then it would be in a plastic wrapper, and you just bite off. I remember Big League Chew, popcorn, nachos. I mean, and then there was just kids galore out there. I mean, I never used the word galore, I don't think, but kids were everywhere. And we just played and played, and uh, it was amazing. And my, my mom was a really good softball player, and I guess she was a good umpire too. Uh, but she had, you know, kind of a circle of friends that did the sporting league. Like I remember a couple of the people she umpired with, if, 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 uh, uh, if I'm right in this, I feel like I remember a couple of people she umpired with she also bowled with. And I want to say bowling for a different episode. Um, just to spread this out, or I may have to do it on this one. I don't know how much. Uh... But anyway, so this is the story. Um, I had collected a few Playboy magazines as a kid. I'm not going to say where I got them, but a family member of mine had some, had quite a few, and I uh, stole some. I don't like to admit that I collected Playboys, and I don't like to admit that I stole, but I did both of those things. I would still one here and there just so it was unnoticeable. But in the trailer park, I was the only kid with Playboys. And it made me quite popular. And I remember, and Kenneth was telling me about this. And Kenneth told me this story. I don't remember this full story, but I do remember this detail. There was a Playboy. And because the Judds were very popular at the time. And there was a, a girl in one of these magazines that I don't know if it was Winona or Naomi. I got to think, I don't know, it was one of the two. Uh, as I was telling this to someone, they were saying, is that the ugly one? And I, I don't really think either of the Judds were ugly. I think as they got older, one of them definitely started to change. But when they were both in, in the early days, I think they were both attractive. But I feel like we thought one of the girls in this Playboy magazine was Winona Judd. And we were excited about it. I don't know that we ever figured it out, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't Winona Judd. It could have very well, we could have thought it was Naomi, but our recollection is Winona Judd. And so we took this Playboy. We snuck the, we were going to a softball game with my mom. My mom was going to play. And we snuck this Playboy into Floral Park. We snuck it in the car. We drove it over there, and we got out, and we were just walking around Floral Park with a Playboy. I'm pretty sure we were showing it to people. We were, and a lot of this is what Kenneth's telling me now, but I don't doubt it. So we're just walking around Floral Park with a Playboy. We're little kids. And, and as far as what people are able to see now, a Playboy was very innocent. A Playboy might as well be Sports Illustrated or Victoria's Secret at this point. And he said at some point we got scared. We got scared that we were going to get caught. We didn't want to risk sneaking the Playboy back in the car. We were successful in getting there, but we didn't trust ourselves to be successful getting home with it. So we decided we were going to throw it away. But before we threw it away... We thought um, that we would tear out some of the pages of the naked women and we would ball them up and throw them on the ground. Uh, 
And, I, and he says he remembers us laughing about the idea of other kids coming along and picking up that balled up piece of paper and undoing it, realizing that it's a naked woman. I think we thought we were giving gifts to the other kids at Floral Park. Or at least the guy sweeping up at the end of the night. And, um, I mean, I had several Playboys. And I got, I think I got scared that I was going to get caught with them. So I remember putting them in uh, trash bags and then taping the trash bags up and then going and burying them in the woods. And I went out there one day and got a couple to give to some other people I went to school with. A Playboy was a hot commodity back then. And then, you know, the thing about Playboy at that time was, you know, you would see an actress like, like there was an actress, Erica Alikniak or something like that. She was, um, uh, she was in the Beverly Hillbillies movie. She played um, Ellie Mae. And then there was Pamela Anderson, and then there was Carmen Electra, who were all popular of the, at the time. And it was all like, ooh, and then they would pop up in these Playboys, and it was very exciting. Anna Nicole Smith, all very exciting. Now things are too easily accessible, and the fun is gone. But during that time, it was like, you know, it's like celebrities. That's another thing I was talking about with Super Bowl commercials. It's like these uh, Super Bowl commercials are filled with celebrity cameos. But it's like, who cares now? Like, like when, when celebrities weren't everywhere all the time, it was fun to watch them on the late night talk shows. That's why late night I feel like is dead because it's like, and I don't know if it's dead, but I feel like it's not as good anymore because – Oh, you have celebrities on there. Great. Well, um, I could watch your show or I could just check their personal Instagram. And it's just we're inundated with celebrities now. So when they pop up in these commercials, it's just like, well, that's not fun. And it's like it's not as fun to see, you know, an equivalent to a Pam Anderson in a Playboy because they probably have a sex tape out now. And I just think a lot of our fun is gone from things. And, um, and I had some Bible stuff that I want to talk about, but wow, was it tough to transition from Playboys and Floral Park into Bible things. <laughs> but I'm just sharing childhood memories here. Um, and, um, you know, and I like that kind of duality of the podcast because I'm like, you know, I am, and it also, it does kind of transition well into what I want to say, I think, because, you know, I'm just a person, right? I, I am a Christian, and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I've actually tried to make a commitment to do that every day, to pray and, and, and sit alone for at least 15 minutes, and just kind of meditate in a way, but I don't really call it meditation so much as praying and then sitting silent and trying not to let my mind wander, just kind of being in God's presence, essentially. There is a verse that says, be silent and know God. So I'm trying to spend a little more time doing that. Um, and also I'm trying to spend time, you know, praying for people, praying for our country, saying a list of names of people that I want to pray for, people that, um, you know, 
my enemies, in a sense, people that I don't like necessarily. I've been trying to pray for them because, you know, like, let's say, for instance, a politician that you don't like and you're a Christian um, and you want to see them do better, more Christian-like things and behave as more of a Christian, then you pray that they, you know, they, they turn their lives to Jesus because, um, that is what is going to turn them from being someone that you quote unquote, don't like, uh, to someone you do like, because you're going to, you know, recognize their values and stuff. And so I just think that kind of stuff is important. And that leads me to what I want to say is like, you know, don't get into following specific people. I think, you know, and I, I never am telling people what to do. I'm only just saying that I think that's a good practice to be in. There's preachers that I like. There's comics that I like. There's, there's people in general that I like. But I like them because I enjoy their message. But the moment their message veers off, like that's why I think it's important to be, um, to be in the Bible, to be in the Word of God, because then you know where your values are coming from. Your values are coming from the Bible, and there is a moral code that you follow. It doesn't mean that you need to get into being a judgmental person just because somebody else doesn't follow that same moral code, but you yourself personally have a moral code and you know what you stand for and you know that you stand on the rock of the Bible as opposed to um, the morals of this world or of this country, which seem to change about every day now. So you stand on the morals of the Bible so that you follow someone. You already know what you believe, but you follow a preacher because they also believe what you believe. But then if they veer off from that path, well, you know, I don't dislike this person now because they veered off, but I don't follow them down that path, if that makes sense. And then I um, also, you know, people, no one is perfect. No one will ever be perfect. Um, I mean, as the Bible says, only Jesus was perfect and no one else will be. So I think, um, you know, it's important to, to realize that. So when a person you follow inevitably fails because they will, will fail, uh, Ecclesiastes, I'm going to read a few out of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Because, um, you know, and I think that's important to know because um, no one is perfect. And so the person that you follow inevitably will one day let you down and fail you. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to stop liking them, but just don't put all your faith in them. That's why we have Jesus as, as to be our um, bridge to God, essentially. Jesus is our bridge to God, and that's why we follow Jesus and not, you know, just people out here. If you love your preacher, that's great. But, you know, you, know, you, you also can hold your preacher accountable, if, it makes, if that makes sense. And that just makes me want to read a couple of verses. Uh, this is uh, Ecclesiastes 
713, where it says, Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? And I want to read um, the next one, but there's a part that I don't understand. So it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And I think that is important. That's another point I want to touch on about being content. Um, but I think in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So I think that to me, it's important when, when, when good things are happening for you, it's important to, you know, recognize that and be happy and be thankful for those things. Uh, you know, just the, the whole spirit of gratitude, uh, you know, my, my idea behind we're having a good time, uh, can, can help you even in a time where you're not necessarily having a good time. Being grateful for, even in times of, of, of hardship, being thankful for the things that you do have will help you get through those things. So, you know, uh, in, in a day of prosperity, be joyful. But then this is the next one that I don't actually understand. So, but in the day of adversity, consider, God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. So, uh, this is all Solomon, and Solomon was supposedly the wisest uh, king to have ever lived. So, But then the next verse, 15, this is Ecclesiastes seven fifteen. All things I have seen in the days of my vanity, there is a just man that perish, perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. So, you know, to me, that is uh, Solomon saying, listen, we don't know the plans of God. We don't know what God had, has in store for us. So there are going to be good people that die early, and there are going to be bad people that live forever. And we say, well, why would this good, why would God take this good person and, and, and I'm sure that some of you personally have experienced this. I know my mom had a cousin. His name was Reuben. And she just talks about Reuben and says Reuben was the nicest person. He always lit up a room. He was just fantastic, such a wonderful person. And Reuben died in a car accident when he was very young. Not very young, but, you know, in his probably late 20s, early 30s. Um. And it's sad. It still makes my mom sad. Um, and so it's like, we don't know why, but that's why I think in chapter 13, it says, consider the work of God for who can make that straight, which he hath made crooked. Just meaning God is orchestrating things and we don't have the power to change what God is doing. God is working things. And I believe that in my life that God is giving me the things that I need for a time which is what leads me to uh, this verse about contentment um, or, or, or just to talk about contentment because I think being content is one of the best things that you can have. Uh, contentment. It's overlooked. People always want prosperity. They want more money. They want more fame. They want more 
you know, they want a bigger house, they want a, a wife, they want a girlfriend, if they're married, they want a divorce, they want kids, if they have a girl, they want a boy, if they have the boy, they want a girl, everybody wants, 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 especially now in this country, I've really noticed it lately, I mean, uh, it's just like, everything is all about what next, I remember when I did the Tonight Show, people would ask me, they would go, what's next, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I just did The Tonight Show. I feel pretty happy about it. I've, that's something that I've always wanted to do. I'd kind of like to just enjoy this moment before I get myself into a mindset of what next. You know, I'm like, obviously, I want to continue to pursue things and I got to be on to the next thing. But it's like, you also have to take time to enjoy the things you have. And I just think being content is so often overlooked in people that they don't find it. And I think it is the most important thing. I think sometimes people take contentment as settling. But if you can look around at your life and you can take a breath and you could go, I'm, I'm really happy where I'm at right now. I'm really happy with my house. I'm really happy with my job. I'm really happy with my family. Well, that's contentment. And that's something to be celebrated. Now, I think, you know, you do got to keep changing things up or even that contentment uh, will become, you know, routine and will become boring. But I don't know. I just think it's important. And this has been a verse, another Ecclesiastes verse that I have had. I'm going to read it, but I've had it memorized for, I don't know, over 20 years. I found myself getting into various things. Um, alcohol, other substances, just where I get into something, I feel like I'm trapped, uh, even cigarette addiction. Um, and this verse here, it says, all the labor, all right, this is Ecclesiastes 6, 7. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. And to me, that's always said, everything that I do, like making, like doing this is for this. And when I get that thing that I've actually tried to get, well, in a matter of time, I'm no longer satisfied with it. In a short matter of time, it, it no longer means what it meant to me before. So I labored so hard for it. I worked so hard for it. And then now that I have it, I'm like, well, I don't even really want this. And I just kept that verse memorized, you know, trying to quit smoking cigarettes or whatever. I just would always have that um, in my head, meaning, you know, I really want that, but it's not going to bring me any satisfaction. So why even spend the time wanting it? I don't know if any of you have ever smoked cigarettes or and ever tried to quit or ever successfully tried. You could go for 30 days without a cigarette and be thinking about a cigarette every moment of the day. And then the moment you have that cigarette, you don't go, ah, oh, exactly what I've been wanting. You may you may, all right, all right, I take that part back. You, you may have that cigarette and go, wow, that is exactly what I wanted. But in a matter of time, you'll just want another cigarette. 
I remember one, I have an uncle that lives in Tennessee. And this was, I was still drinking back in this day. And I hadn't seen my uncle in a long time. Me and my mom used to go and visit him a lot when I was a little kid. He would take us to Dollywood and um, he lived in Nashville at one point. He took us to Opryland and always a great guy. I always really enjoyed him. He's my Uncle Huey. He taught me how to play chess and he was a, an artist, you know, and he was like, he was the artist of our family and I felt like I was kind of the artist of my family. So of his generation, he was the artist growing up in a, you know, a pretty country environment and I felt like that's who I was growing up. I always used to draw. I, I loved art. I love music. I love culture. I love these things. Um, I love being from the South. I love being Southern, but I love to experience other cultural things. I, I think it's a blast. Um, and so I always related well with my uncle. And so when I was probably about 25 or so, I had come to Tennessee with my dad on a trip with, to, he was doing uh, with Aflac. He used to work for Aflac and he won a trip. And so we were up here and, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm already living on my own. I just came to spend a few days with my dad, but I thought, hey, while I'm up here, why don't I go spend the day with Uncle Huey? And so I went up to Uncle Huey's house and Uncle Huey was, was you know, he was drinking a bit and he smoked cigarettes and I thought, hey, this will be fun. I'll have a few drinks with my uncle. So we're, you know, we, we're drinking a couple of beers. It's the summertime. We're on a Tennessee mountain and, you know, then we pull, he pulls out the vodka. We do a couple of shots and then we go outside and we're sitting around the grill and we're, we fired up, up some hamburgers and. We're drinking, we're laughing, we're having a good time, and we eat our hamburgers. He's got homegrown tomatoes, and they're sliced, and it's just, it's a delicious burger. It's a sunny day. My favorite time to drink was always in the daytime. I love drinking in the sun. I love drinking around a grill, but I had quit smoking. I wasn't smoking cigarettes at the time, but I was getting into the black and milds a little bit. I loved a black and mild. I used to inhale them, and I love black and milds. Um, and I was just hanging out with my friend Eric Shun the other day, and he was on his way to get a black and mild. And I was like, oh, man, I would love to have one of those. But I, um, I didn't. But so on that day, on the, on the mountain, I'm sitting there, and I told my uncle, I go, I got, I said, I need a black and mild. I need to go get one. And he was like, oh, he's like, you've been drinking. We're way up here on the mountain. He said, you don't know these roads well. He said, don't, don't go out. He said, if you got to smoke, just have a cigarette, right? And I had quit smoking. But I think his logic was good in that moment. So he gave me a cigarette. And that cigarette was so delicious that immediately when I was done, I asked for another. And it was great. I mean, wow, I enjoyed that. And it was just a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun on the mountain. But, but, but I guess my point is, is you could spend all the time in the world wanting that cigarette. You could, you could stretch it for a year if you wanted, where you went without it for an entire year, but the moment you have one, you want another. It's always a theory that I've had about kind of breaking the ice, when you quit something, it's like you form a shield of ice over that. But the moment that ice is broken, now you can dip in there whenever you want and you don't need to break the ice again. So it's easier to get back in there. And over time, the ice gets thicker and thicker and thicker. So breaking it means more. 
you're like, oh, I don't really want to break it. I built up this ice over so much time. Now I don't want to break it. That's how I am with drinking. When I quit drinking for a month, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But in that time, I had quit drinking for a month. So it was the two-month drinking that really felt monumental to me. I was like, wow, I haven't drank in two months. If I drink now, then it's like you ever you ever go in a Lowe's or a Home Depot or any workplace, and you'll say, uh, this workplace has been accident-free for, uh, and then there'll be a spot to write in the days. And you're at a place, and you'll see them. It says 107 days. You're like, wow, that's amazing. If we have an accident now, we're back to one day or zero days. But it's like it doesn't mean as much. So to me, having eight years of not drinking under my belt means a lot. So sometimes I'll have dreams about drinking. And in that dream, I'll be like, oh, no. I'll even say to myself, I can't tell people that I've drank because, well, it'll mess up this whole amount of time that I have going. And, um, but then I wake up and I go, good thing. I know, good thing I didn't drink. Um, so I just think, um, I think my message to people is, is don't follow people. Don't follow people so much. That's why I think a weird kind of thing that's happening is that our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Facebook, when you want to, you know, our Facebook fan page, when you want to see what someone's up to and keep up with someone, you follow them. And you're now a follower of theirs. I don't like that term. I don't like to refer to people on Instagram as my followers. I don't, I think that's weird. I don't enjoy it. I mean, these, you know, at best, uh, you know, they're, they're my fans, but I don't even really like that. I mean, I don't know the term because I'm not friends with everybody that's on my Instagram, but I, I don't like any of those things. We're, we're colleagues, we're, you know, we're just people out here. I don't want people following me. I want, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, obviously I want a lot of followers on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But the reason is, is because when I put something out, I want it to get a bigger reach so that ultimately more people come to my shows. That's all I want is to pack out clubs. But the thing about, the thing about the term, all I want is, is that all I want is a term that is temporary for most people, if not all people. You say, hey, all I want is just a new dependable car. And then you get a new dependable car, and then now you're, all your want has been fulfilled. So next, what happens? Well, next, you have a new all I want. Well, now I have a car that's dependable, now, all I'd like, all I want is, you know, a, 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 a bit of a nicer car, you know, something I can, I can look good driving around in. And the all I want always grows. It always grows. And I, don't, I think that's something that's in us. I mean, we, we always want to strive for better things. You know, you're always wanting to get the best. And, and I, I think it's okay to want to strive for better things. But I think, it's, I think it's in us. But I think we have to keep it in check. And, and, and keep our morality in place so that it's not out of control. Like people hate capitalism now. And I understand why they hate it because the capitalism that's going on in our country seems like a wreck. I mean, it seems like 
But what, you know, it seems like it's just greedy. And that's what I say to people. You don't hate capitalism, you hate greed. And I hate greed too. Uh, a preacher that I like, he says, it's, it's impossible to have good capitalism without morality, without values. And I, and I think that's true. But I don't want any other form of government because I want less government. That's all I, always what I want. I want less rules, less taxes. I think that's very simple. People always, they, they must put you into a political category. Hannah, my wife, has been reading a book right now about political ideologies. And she will read off the different ones. And um, she'll read one to me and she'll go halfway through it. And I go, I like that. I think that's what I am. And then she'll, and I think she frames it in that way. And then she'll go, but this political affiliation also supports this. And I'm not talking about just Republican, Democrat. I'm saying, you know, terms like neoliberal was one that she read to me the other day. And I was like, well, I think that's what I am. And then she get to the second, another half of it, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't stand for those things. And that's why I think in the don't follow people, you also don't have to follow a political ideology. You don't have to fit yourself into some mold just because people say you do. You're, you're free to have a belief system that meets, you know, wh what you believe in. Like if you're... You know, like people always say, I'm, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative and um, uh, morally liberal. I don't know if that's actually what they say. I forgot the other word. But the point is, people will say, I support this of this party, but I support this of this party. That means you're a free thinker and you have, uh, and you know what you actually support. You don't just go along with things. But we're being forced to just go along with everything because they say, we live in this box, so if you live in this box, you must do everything that box does. Well, don't live in the box. There's no reason to live in the box. I hope that makes sense. All I want is for people to just think freely. I don't want, pe I don't want to make people think the way I think, which is why I don't really share the way I think. Uh, I share my religious views, but I don't go, you should think like me. Because you shouldn't think like me. You should think like you. But all, only you. Don't think like another person. Like for a while, there was a Jordan Peterson revolution. I'm not trashing Jordan Peterson. I'm not taking the side of Jordan Peterson. But there was the Jordan Peterson revolution happening. And uh, I think he had some really uh, good things to say. But I also disagreed with some things he said. And that's the way I am with every single person. There are preachers that I'll watch sometimes and I'll go, wow, I really like this dude. And then he'll say something and I go, well, I don't agree with that. But that doesn't mean I dislike that person. That just means that that person has their own opinions, as do I. And I think that's important. I think it's important that we all have our own opinions and we also be able to talk about them with each other without calling each other names. And without trying to put ourselves into categories and put other people into categories. Nowadays, I hear people, they call conservatives Trumpers, they call uh, liberals libtards. And I'm like, neither of that's helpful. It's like you're just criticizing people um, and, and putting them into a box. So I just think it's important to be free thinking.
That's why I prefer the Bible over anything because it is just cut and dry. And, you know, it, it, it has a bunch of rules that we're supposed to follow. But, you know, the wonderful thing about it that I think is missed is it has a bunch of rules that we're all supposed to follow. And then it will, out of the, it will say things like this, like I just read. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. It lets us know these are the rules, but you're not going to be able to follow them. That don't mean you don't try, but you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to be perfect. And I also want to talk about this, but I want to talk about this next week. Um, And this is something that I plan on doing this year. I think there are, whether I don't think that, I know that there are seven biblical feasts that are holy days, uh, in parentheses, holidays. They're holy days appointed by God for God's people to follow. Now, a lot of people will say, well, these are Jewish holidays. And the Jewish people, uh, as far as I know, do celebrate these. But because of Jesus, we are grafted into the tree, and now we are God's people. And as God's people, I believe that we should keep God's biblical feast. So there is um, in Leviticus chapter 23, all seven of the biblical feast are laid out and those are passover in order passover the feast of unleavened bread the feast of first fruits pentecost the feast of trumpets the day of atonement and the feast of tabernacles and I think that we should be following these, and I have not been following them. I've been following, uh, for many years, I've followed Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Breads, and the Day of Atonement. I've done those for many years, uh, four of the seven. Now, I don't know how to celebrate them all, Um, so I think that's part of the problem. I mean, it's like, you know, the Feast of First Fruits, it's telling us to um, uh, reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Well, I don't have a harvest. I don't know what a sheaf is, and I don't have a priest. So I don't know exactly how I would celebrate that one, but I think that is something that um, that I want to begin to do. Um so if you want to read that, that's Leviticus chapter 23. And I'd like to try to get into it, talk about it next week. I don't know how long I can really talk about it because, like I say, I don't know that much about it. And there are, but I would like to kind of talk about some of the holidays that we do celebrate. I don't know if I'll talk about it because that's tricky and that's, that always upsets somebody. somebody. That may be a, more of a conversation that I have for people in person. But I think there are some questions about our current holidays that we celebrate um, versus what God has actually told us to celebrate. And I just think it's interesting. I mean, Valentine's Day is one. It's coming up. 
And if people are in a relationship, they celebrate Valentine's Day by buying overpriced flowers, by buying um, uh, quote-unquote heart-shaped candies. And they go to restaurants that they could go to any other day of the week and wait in a longer line and pay more money. And if you're not in a relationship, then you feel sad and lonely and like life has cheated you. And I don't think, and, and none of God's holidays, none of the seven feasts will make you feel this way because they are not selfish holidays. They are holidays where you serve God and give thanks to God. And I think if we're doing that as opposed to serving self, then we're not going to be sad. And I don't know if that, uh, I feel good about this. I've had a good time. I've had a good time doing this podcast. I, I mean, I appreciate all the emails. I get lots of emails from people um, about, I, I get almost exclusively emails just about Bible stuff. And I appreciate that because, you know, I, um, you know, I, I really feel good about it. I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, that is, that is, I feel like my, um, my place on earth is to try to bring people, uh, joy. If you come to my show, you will not get a secret hidden agenda. You will just get fun comedy. Uh, my, if you listen to the podcast, but have never been to a show, my pot, my, my show is completely different. I only do comedy. I write jokes and I just try to keep it strictly funny for an hour with lots of punchlines. And then on the podcast, I try to have a little serious side and try to give you some, uh, some meat, that some things that make me happy, some things that keep me going and make me want to go out and tell people that we're having a good time. The, the fuel that I need. So I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that you've had a good time. Thank you for listening. We're having a good time.